Don't say die, we won't give in We're number one We'll hold the line We won't step back We'll just attack time after time We're lightning fast We'll drive like rain We won't be beat We won't retreat Ice in our veins We are the storm from Melbourne Town will blow the others off the ground We are the storm And we're number one We are the Storm and we're number one. Welcome to Stormcast, the official Melbourne Storm podcast, episode nine. As always, a quick shout out to those of you who are supporting the podcast by downloading and subscribing to Stormcast with Gobs, the one and only Melbourne Storm podcast. Stormcast is your one-stop shop for discussing all things Melbourne Storm. Stormcast with Gobs is available on podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. As always... I'm your host, Gobbs, and I'll be bringing you the latest news, views, and storm content across the 2023 season. Now, let's get on with the podcast, shall we? Well, back in the winner's circle after back-to-back losses to the Bulldogs and the Titans, respectively, where... As it's been well documented, where Coach Craig Bellamy questioned the effort and care of his team. Storm's effort and care returned. So did playmaker Cameron Munster as they ended a two-game losing run and regained some confidence against West's Tigers last Friday night. The Storm claimed a 24-12 win, scoring their uh, their first four tries of the first half in an unconventional 6 p.m. kickoff at Amy Park. Storm's record now improves to two wins and two losses. Munster, who missed two games due to a badly broken finger, scored a try and set up another, made a big difference. But more important, it was a reduction in errors and better discipline, which Bellamy had been critical of during the previous two losses. Second gamer, Jonah Pezzett, again, Impressed. This time, in the halfback role, following a two-game suspension to regular starter Jerome Hughes, the young New South Wales Blues back defended with vigour and made some tidy passes in the lead-up to the Storm's first two tries. Bellamy praised Pezzett as being among his side's best players on the night. The Storm will be a little unhappy, though, with their inability to gain more possession in the second half, with Wests having plenty of ball, but being unable to crack the Storm's uh, defensive line for the first twenty twenty-five uh, for the last twenty twenty-five minutes of the game, I should say, it felt as though all Melbourne did was defend, and some of the effort in defence was reminiscent of what we've come to expect from a Storm team. Stoic goal on defence, great scramble to shut down offloads, second phase play and quick shifts to the edges. Storm will take great confidence um, from their defensive effort and will look to build on that going into round five and the ensuing weeks ahead uh, against some formidable opposition, namely namely in the Rabbitohs this Friday night at Acor Stadium, 
the Roosters and the Seagulls in the next month of football. So let's hear what Belzer had to say in the press conference. Um, yeah, it's sort of a little bit topsy-turvy there at that at stages. You know, I thought, um, although we've done a, some of the things we haven't been doing so well the last couple of weeks, I thought we've done them really well. Um, made it really hard on ourselves a couple of times, or two or three times we made an error, and then we give a, a penalty away on that next set. You know, that put, put us under pressure, you know. Um, so we just need to be better there. Um, but... I, I, again, I, I thought our effort tonight was, you know, wholly better than it was the last couple of weeks. I thought it was, you know, a little bit like, you know, like our first round efforts, you know. So um, we've still got some guys there that are a bit underdone. You know, they haven't done much in pre-season. They haven't sort of played, um, you know, too many games. But, um, yeah, like I say, I just thought our, our effort was a wholly better and... Um, you know, it was a bit of a, well, it was a real arm wrestle the second half. It was only 6-2, really, and, you know, when they scored that try, you know, um, you know, just before it went over the, the end goal. So, like I say, when, when you look at it like that, um, you know, I, th- I think, you know, it was a much, much improved effort from our last two weeks. Um, we still got some things to work on, but, um, oh, you know, I think they took a bit of, bit of pride in playing at home tonight, and, you know, that was a pleasing thing. Craig Bellamy there. So that was one thing that he was really happy with. It was a much improved performance. Um, the Storm were completing at 87%. Uh, so 36 completed sets from 41 total, which is uh, greatly um, improved on, on previous weeks. Um, in terms of uh, missed tackles, only 26. So it's slowly starting to come down. The defensive effort is is improving week to week now, which is which is really really good to see. Um, in terms of discipline, uh, the Storm gave away seven penalties, um, one from uh, one in uh, three in ruck infringements and one inside the ten. So the discipline, whilst there's still areas of improvement, um, the overall improvement compared to the previous fortnights of uh, of football has has dramatically turned around, which is great to see. So now it's really about seeing um, a consistent sort of trend in uh, reducing reducing that 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 discipline uh, factor or the ill ill discipline in that area, as well as uh, improving uh, on the um, on the defensive capacity and, and reducing that missed tackles. Um, so let's see, we do start to see that because, as mentioned, we're coming into a month of football now, which is going to be extremely hard, a real, real sort of litmus test in terms of where the storm are at. Um, and again, we don't make excuses. Yes, we un- we know we're, we're under man. We're, you know, we're severely under, under strength in terms of still missing um, quite a number of players, specifically... Jerome Hughes, Nelson Afosofa, Solomona and Ryan Pappenhausen, they're the big three that, that are missing at this stage. Uh, once you inject those those three players into the team, I think you'll start to see a dramatic turnaround, um, not only defensively, but just from an overall performance because of the quality and the calibre of player. They improve the players around them. So, um, again, it, it's, it's a wait-and-see approach in terms of, of when they are coming back, specifically around Ryan Pappenhausen. 
Captain Christian Welsh was also asked about the win um, and the turnaround of the uh, of, of a much improved performance. Let's see what Welshie had to say in the press conference. Yeah, I think the efforts, um, it's been pretty good. I think the first month or so, but we, we play such a physically demanding game. Like The NRL's it's pretty intense. Um, so it was good to see tonight that we took a bit of that stuff out of our game where we're just doing stupid shit like kick pressure penalties and just real stuff that really just cooks you and takes juice out of the tank. Uh, and tonight there were some areas where we, we go to penalties way, but I thought, generally speaking, for the whole game, we were pretty good at, I suppose, building pressure and not letting it off the Tigers. Got a bit scrap in the second half, but I thought we did a good job tonight. And, um, you know, if you give those penalties away and just takes all that juice out of you, it's really hard to work your way back into the game and attack cohesively because everyone's pretty cooked. So um, that was probably the most promising thing from tonight. We might have been a bit boring, but it was effective and it was back to the way we like playing footy. Doing stupid shit. Is that like uh, a captain's challenge, Welshie? <sighs> Just promises, Welshie. No more captain's challenges, please. Please, mate. Front rowers and wingers should be blacklisted, should be banned from issuing a captain's challenge. The strike rate is horrendous. Anywho, Storm fans will forgive you, Welshie, will forgive you. Now, I've read some criticism uh, online, of course, where else, of Will Warbrick and coming off his wing, jamming in. Now, to the naked eye of many Storm fans and rugby league fans in general, It's easy to yell, stay on your wing, but it's much more complex than that. A winger isn't just rushing up and in for the sake of it. They do so because of what has occurred or what is occurring in the middle third of the field where usually the ruck is being lost, the sides on the back foot, they're getting frog marched down through just not being able to contain uh, the momentum of the opposition and the middle third defence is being compressed, which ends up seeing defenders being dragged on both sides of the ruck towards the centre of the field, causing the three-man and the two-man defenders to jam in to shut down the shape of the opposition, looking to exploit the lack of numbers on the edges. Now, if Warbrick stays on his wing, the opposition will more than likely score on the inside of him. So it becomes a numbers game where the defending team is on the back foot and who's in the middle third defensive system is compressing to stop the opposition from scoring through the front door or the front gate, uh, which is virtually in the centre of of the field or the centre of the goal line, so to speak. So defending on the outside edges at wing and centre, commonly known as the the two-man, the the centre is, the the two-man defender, can be very challenging. It's extremely tough out there, especially when players of that calibre are coming at you with support, both on the inside and the outside, and asking questions and trying to exploit the numbers. So edge defenders, like your wingers, like your two-mans, like your three-mans, which are generally your halves, they need to be flexible and proactive in their movements and be prepared to respond to just about anything. The location can be extremely lonely, and often disaster awaits should you make the wrong call. 
Now, usually the wrong call means that you, you're retreating or you're actually standing where you are. You're actually not reading what's coming and you, you're, you're not warding off a potential attacking raid by jamming in and trying to shut down the play, which is why, which is why Warbrick and, and wingers jam in. Because you'd rather be trying to shut down the play and having them score in the corner as opposed to not jamming in, holding your width and then end up seeing the opposition score on the inside of you close towards the post, which four points usually become six points. All these decisions have to be made within a split second. There is no time to debate your options, really. It is and can be quite instinctive from many hours and many reps of practice at training. However, under pressure, it only takes one player not working on the same page as his teammate on the inside of him for the structure to break down. Under pressure, even the best players panic and can make wrong decisions. There are a few key areas that defending teams can concentrate on to give themselves a chance of stopping attacking players steaming through on the edges. The secret to any good defence is for your defenders to be sticking to the team's defensive principles and working together, meaning doing the same things. Anytime you're talking about defensive structures on the edge, more often than not, it depends on what support you're getting from the men on the inside. Often your tight forwards, those middlemen have their work cut out for them as I've already established in terms of that middle ruck defence. Now, the markers, the markers initiate the speed of the game and have the power to remove all momentum that the attacking side has built. So the marker's first priority are to engage the hooker to either shut him down or limit his options at the defensive line. The A defender controls the speed of the line. So the A def- when I say A defender, it's the first person closest to, to the ruck that isn't a marker. So usually that first man straight off the ruck, that's the A defender the B defender next to them, the C, and, and, and so on. So the A defender controls the speed of the, of the line. So if the A defender gets up really quickly, the B man, the, the B defender has to go with him. If the B, B defender goes with him, the C defender goes with him, which all of a sudden you've got line speed, okay? You've got line speed coming up consistently. Now, there's no point the A defender going up and the B and the C and the D defenders not moving up with them in, in that middle third, in that ruck area. So the A defender controls the speed of the line, and it's their aim to get forward as quick as they can, limiting progress over the advantage line while still keeping an eye on the first receiver and in touch with the markers. Once the hooker has released the ball, his focus is instantly shifts to zero and is on the first receiver accompanied by the B defender, as I've just outlined. No defending team can afford playmakers the luxury of going to the line with support. It's the most important for the inside defenders to pressure the first receiver and work from the inside out. 
The last thing a defending team needs to do is to allow the likes of Cleary or Moses or Reynolds, the game's smartest ball players. You don't want to give them room to move and time to think. Hence that line speed of the A and B defender coming off the line very quickly to try and limit that the amount of room they've got and the, the amount of time they've got. Hence kick pressure, hence the, that sort of defensive pressure um, straight off the bat. So the more time and the more space that you give a, a six or a seven, a playmaker, then you just, you, you're virtually inviting them to attack. And that, that can put a, a great deal of defensive pressure on your team. So, again, it, it really, it's all dictated by the markers. As soon as the markers move, you can try and shut down that dummy half, the, the hooker, and then it's up to the A defender to really put pressure on that first man. Um, be it if, if, if the, the hooker tries to engage as well. So it's extremely tough to defend the whole field. So when attacking teams are in the middle of the field, the defensive team should have two markers and five defenders on each side of the ruck or the play the ball and a fullback def- directing his, his defensive line. Plenty of teams use the saying, shut the gate, which I've just alluded to as well. It's a term used to get the middle third defenders to move up and slide with the play, keeping a uniform line and not dropping off too early, ensuring that they're ready to collar a runner on an inside line. So the smart halfbacks are looking for the advantage like a quick play the ball when the line is not set or where there are only four defenders on one side of the field, again, becoming a numbers game. The defensive team then has to make a decision. Do they rush forward and jam in, trying to shut down the attack, or do they wait and hold and wait for the inside defenders to come and help, perhaps giving up 10 or 15 metres before stopping this attacking play? That's the question. Now, all teams will have different theories as to when a third man in the line can leave and lead and leave the lead runner and drift onto the fullback on the back of shape. But most want that defender to check the lead runner first. The third man in is usually a half. So when I, again, when I speak to, when I reference three man, the three man defender, that's usually the half, meaning you've got. They're three in from the wing. Okay? He determines what the outside two defenders do. So your two-man, which is generally your centre, and your winger. However, late sudden movements in any defensive structure can cause problems for outside teammates. It may not look too different, but all teams have their own defensive structures. Melbourne tend to wedge in or jam in when under pressure on the edges. Hence why you see Will Warbrick and even in previous years you've seen Jennings, you've seen Suliasi, Vunavalu, you've seen Sisawanga. They've all jammed in. So that's obviously a defensive trait of the Melbourne Storm that they choose under their defensive system, 
to jam in when under pressure on the edges, whilst other teams tend not to engage the attack and instead will attempt to try and herd the opposition attack towards the sideline, which, again, is sometimes can be effective, sometimes it, it won't be. Um, Cluey attack and Cluey halves are very switched on to, to defensive structures. So whilst many teams have different defensive systems, all generally display the same key principles. They are move up fast, stay on your defender's inside shoulder, communicate, nominate your attacker. So who's going to get the ball, who, who they're, they're looking at and marking. Uh, don't go past the ball. And again, shut the gate. Really, really close up that middle. So all in all, tackling is the individual's responsibility. Defence, that's the entire team's responsibility. Now, I know podcasts aren't a visual medium, so... I hope that breakdown wasn't too hard to decipher and comprehend. The story being is that Warbrick is jamming in because of what is occurring on the inside, specifically around that that middle third. So if he's jamming in, he's doing it for a reason. Now, I don't... I don't begrudge him for that because it's obviously a, defense, a defensive system that the Storm are employing in order to ensure that if if they are stretched for numbers, you're always going to be wanting to try and concede a try if you have to. No one wants to concede a try, but if you have to, you want to see that happen in the corner as opposed closer towards the ruck or the posts. So you want to be corralling your opposition to score out wide as opposed to in the middle. So, again, I hope that breakdown wasn't too hard to understand and comprehend. So, yeah, a little bit of uh, Defensive 101 from Gobbs. Now, Teamless Tuesday. Melbourne coach Craig Bellamy has named an unchanged starting lineup for the first time this season for the NRL five uh, round five game against the South Sydney Rabbitohs this Friday night at Accor Stadium, with Jerome Hughes serving the final week of his two week suspension. Rookie Jonah Pezet continues at halfback and will play his first NRL match in his home state of New South Wales, hailing from Newcastle, of course. Uh, son of Troy. Uh, the only changes to the squad of the 17 that defeated West's Tigers comes on the interchange bench with the return of Tom Eisenhuth, who's been named to make his first NRL appearance of the year after returning from injury for the Sunshine Coast Falcons in the Host Plus Cup 10 days ago. Uh, and Bronson Garlic taking over uh, in the number 14 jersey from young Tyron Wishart, who is on the reserves list. Winger George Jennings has also been added to the extended bench for the first time in 2023 after lining up 
in two games to the Brisbane East's Tigers as he makes his comeback from an ACL tear in round one last year against Wests. Uh, both Storm and the Rabbitohs have two wins and two losses after the first month of the season. So both teams will be looking to add another win uh, to their record as it stands. Kickoff is at 8 p.m. this Friday night. Um, it can be watched live on 9 Gem in Victoria, Channel 9, New South Wales and Queensland, Fox League and KO Sports. Uh, now let's have a look at the team. So Nick Meaney has been named again at fullback. Will Warbrick and Xavier Coates are on the wings. Remus Smith and Justin Ollum are also in the centres. The halves, Cameron Munster, who again returned successfully from a fractured finger last week, uh, compound fracture that is. Uh, Jonah Pezzett gets his first start in the number seven jersey. Uh, Tui Kamakamitha and Christian Welsh are in the front row with Harry Grant at hooker. Trent Liero and Alicia Katoa are on the edges and Josh King locks the scrum. Now, on the interchange bench, Bronson Garlic, as mentioned, is in the number 14, replacing Tyron Wishart. Alec McDonald, Tarek Sims and Tom Eisenhuth round out the 17. On the extended reserves list, we have Grant Anderson, Tyron Wishart, Jordan Grant, George Jennings and Jack Howarth has also been named on the extended bench. Now, looking at our opposition, Latrell Mitchell is at fullback for the Rabbitohs. On the wings, Alex Johnston, the try-scoring machine, and Isaac Thompson. Isaiah Tass and Campbell Graham are in the centres. The halves, Cody Walker and Lachlan Ilias, the man who kicked their winning field goal last week. Uh, the front row and forwards are Daniel Saluka, Fafita and Tom Burgess. They're up front um, in the front row. Damian Cook is at hooker. I believe he used to be a beach sprinter. Do you know that? Uh, Keon Kolomatangi, Jacob Host are in the second row and Cameron Murray is at lock and captain. Their interchange bench includes Jed Cartwright, Michael Cheekham, David Mowali, and Hame Sele returns from a nasty concussion sustained in round two against the Roosters. Uh, sorry, round three against the Roosters. On their reserves list, Blake Taff, Dean Hawkins, Ben Lovett, who made his debut last week against the Seagulls, Tane Milne, and Talis Duncan. Now, thoughts on this game. South Sydney, to me, are a premiership contender. They've got plenty of strike right over the field. They've got a, a tremendous forward pack that can lay a platform and a, a great number nine that can get on the front foot of that and, and really kickstart their attack. They're a team that plays very, very well with momentum. They can get over that advantage line and all of a sudden when they've got a team on the back foot, that really sort of brings in Cody Walker and Latrell Mitchell as they're attacking strikes. Um, and then if you've got Walker running, Latrell Mitchell pushing up, doing his thing, then all of a sudden that that makes everyone else around them extremely dangerous to contain. Now, the criticism of South Sydney over the last couple of years has been they've been a very, very left-side dominant team in terms of their attack. However, this season we're starting to see that starting starting to balance out now. 
So Lachlan Ilias uh, going into his second sort of full year of, of NRL now. He's starting to get more confident and starting to call more plays. He's building a really, really nice combination with Keon Kolomotungi um, and um, Campbell Graham on, the, on that right edge. Um, and they're really starting to, to threaten as much as what the left edge is doing as well, uh, which is a very, very scary proposition where you've got two edges of the field that can have as much strike and start asking questions of both your uh, defensive, defensive sides of the ruck of, the, of their opposition. Um, and we saw that last week, and, and, and especially the games um, against uh, Cronulla back in round one, um, and last week against Manly. So it's it's really going to be down to, in my personal opinion, if the Storm can hold the middle, the middle third, so if they can meet the go forward of Saluka Fafita and Tom Burgess specifically, um, and the likes of Mawali and Sele as middle thirds, off the bench when that rotation starts to occur, if they can hold them in the middle and limit the the the, the go forward and the the momentum which Damian Cook likes to play off, which again can bring in your likes of Cody Walker who just like to go bang and take off when all of a sudden he can see a retreating defensive line or a, or a defensive line that 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 lacks line speed, which he will then run the ball. And make them make them engage. If they can limit the go forward, and and win the ruck in and around that, so it, there's a really really big job for Tui Kamakamita and Christian Welsh, and Josh King, especially in that first 20, 25 minute period. If they can hold the Rabbitohs middle, then all of a sudden it's game on in my in my opinion, because I, I look at that Storm back back line, and if they're not on the back foot. And they're getting an even amount of possession. The team's getting an even amount of possession. The Storm are going to play good field position. Then all of a sudden, I can't see any pressure to the outs to the edges. However, again, it really comes down to holding that middle. So the pigs, as we like to call the the ruck forwards, they've got their jobs. They've got their jobs cut out for them. So if Kamikamita. Welsh, Josh King, if they can if they can match the go forward of Saluka Fafita, Tom Burgess, Cameron Murray, who likes to play as that link man to the edges, um, if they can meet the go forward and limit the opportunities that are coming through that sort of middle third, shutting the gate, so to speak, and, and really really trying to control that sort of line speed in and around that ruck area, then. I think the Storm are in this up to their eyeballs because you look at Tarek Sims, who's a big body, Alec McDonald, who's got really, really good leg speed for a middle third forward. Bronson Garlic is just going to go out there and give his all. So he'll run hard, he'll defend. You know what you're going to get from Bronson Garlic. He's just a blue-collar worker. Tom Eisenhuth, very much the same. He's not going to let anyone down when he gets on there and plays that sort of that middle that middle third role as well. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be a fascinating game. I, I South Sydney will start favourites, obviously, because they're at home. 
Um, they haven't got as many injury concerns and players missing as what the, the poor old Storm do. But, again, I think the Storm have to take... They've got to take some confidence out of the way they defended last week, specifically in that second half where all they did was defend, especially that last quarter of the game, um, specifically in their own half and, and in their own red zone off their goal line, shutting down second phase play. Um, you know, West Tigers played with plenty of gay abandon. They moved the ball a lot. Um, they had to, and that really sort of pulled the defensive system of the storm apart, but the scramble, the effort, the effort in the scramble to get back there and shut down play and make those di- last-ditch efforts or don't worry about thinking that the man on the inside or the man on, on the outside will, will make that tackle, I'll make the tackle. So it became that individual effort of the, of the, of the individual player. Um, and if they're doing their job, that helps everyone else do theirs. So... Yeah, it's 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 a it's going to be a very very tight tight fought game. I can't. I fail to see how this is going to be a blowout. It's got the makings of being a very very similar contest and arm wrestle to what round one was against the Eels. Um, and again, it really comes down to that that middle third defence. If 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 the forwards. If the front rowers and, and the middle third forwards can really sort of hold and match the Rabbitohs in the middle, then I, I think there's there's enough there's enough attack, there's enough points, there's enough X factor in that back line, especially with Munster back now, for the Storm to get the victory. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to be a very 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 interesting game. Um, and again, if everything that I've said sort of comes to fruition, then you know, hopefully, come ten p.m. on Friday night, the Storm have got another win. That's what uh, that's what we'll be hoping for. Anyway, let's hope so. <laughs> Latest injury and rehab report for the Storm. So we've got the latest update is Nelson Osofa Solomona. Uh, as we know, the big man is a six to eight week layoff from an uh, from the high uh, high grade MCL injury that he sustained against the Bulldogs in round two. Now. For those of you that follow Nelson, um, Asafa Solomona on Instagram, uh, for those of you that follow the Storm on Instagram, which I'm assuming majority of you would, the photos this week, um, and even uh, in in the uh, in the dressing sheds last week, um, indicated that Nelson isn't wearing a brace on the leg anymore, which is always a good sign. Um, at training this week, he was he had he obviously had some strapping around the leg, but he didn't have a bib on, um, which goes to show that he he is moving and he is training with the side. So the indication that he was going to be out for that eight to ten week period 
uh, it, it seems to, I again I, I'm, I've I've said before that the Storms medical team can be very conservative with their figures and their numbers. Um, traditionally, over the years, it's it's always based on a worst case scenario, um, and I think you, it's they're quite right uh, to do so because it's it's always going to be based on on a worst case scenario because you you never want to be seeing a player rush back or giving false hope. Um, but the indications thus far would suggest that it potentially may not be an eight week layoff, and that. If if the indications of Nelson training with the team with no brace in dressing sheds, no brace in the photos that he's put up on, on Instagram, um, and training with the team in all all of the team photos that have been sort of uploaded this week, then that's got to be a good thing, which means that. He could be back sooner than we think, and if that's the case, that's that's going to be welcome news for the storm. So, fingers crossed, he may be back sooner than we potentially anticipate. I'm not saying next week, I'm not saying the week after, but potentially he could be back in maybe three or four weeks, which would be great. It'd be great to have him um, sooner rather than, than later. Now. The Storm have the bye coming up, I think it's in round nine. And if he, if he's due back in, let's say he's back in four weeks or three weeks, if he's back in, in three to four weeks, he could potentially be playing against the Warriors in Anzac Day. Now, the Storm roll into the bye. Now, if that's the case, they may, again, they may be conservative and they may wish to say, you know what, let's give him that extra week off and make sure he's not only 100%, but let's get him up to 110% and all the rest of it. They, they may choose to do that, but if he's fit, he's available, and there's no sign of injury or or doing any sort of further damage to, to the injury or, or he has recovered in, in, you know, the MCL has recovered in its entirety from the rest and the rehab that he's been doing, then let's get the big fella back because we need him. Tepoi Moroa, um, the calf injury is still causing some issues. Um, so he's closing in on a return, uh, which is good. So he's expected to resume full training next week. Ryan Pappenhausen, as we know, the most well-documented knee in world sport, perhaps is building his running volumes, which, again, uh, for those of you that, that follow... Uh, Ryan Pappenhausen on social media would acknowledge that he's been running on a gravity treadmill, which is aims to take pressure off foot, ankle, leg, knee, hip, etc. Um, and that's been progressive over the past few weeks. And there was a sign this week that he's started beach running and beach sprinting, which is a is a telltale sign that he's nearing a return to actually running on land, running on grass. So some really, really good signs. So the exact date of his return at this stage, again, to be confirmed by the club, um, and that's fine. But 
the indications now are starting to see him run, um, be it on a, a gravity treadmill and now on sand, the next progression is grass and we potentially could see that in in the next week or potential fortnight, which would be a tremendous tremendous thing to see because then all of a sudden if you're starting to run on land, then you know, we're talking about a potential six or seven weeks away uh, because that's the mini preseason he's going to go through. So we know he's he's doing some element of running. We know he's doing all these movement work. We know he's doing weights, um, squats, leg presses, building up the muscles in and around the knee. So all indications are looking very positive. So that's great. it's great to see. It's great to hear, and it's great to hopefully have Paps back in the not too distant future. Joey Chan, uh, a calf strain prevented the back row from making the trip to Papua New Guinea with the Brisbane East Tigers over the weekend. Uh, he's expected to be back in action next week. Uh, Dean Iremia, as we know, um, will not be available for the rest of the year, um, sustaining that ACL rupture in the trials uh, against the Warriors. So, again, we hope he's, everything's going okay with his rehab. Now, Storm News. Now, I'm sure many Storm fans come across this um, over the weekend. So, News Corp revealed that Maroons and the Melbourne Storm are locked in a battle for Billy with Storm Chairman Matt Tripp confirming the club icon is on his hit list of candidates to succeed Craig Bellamy. No surprise at all. Slater is off contract at the end of this year's Origin campaign, but to Queensland bosses, they want him on board for a longer term after steering the Maroons to an epic series win over the Blues in his rookie season in 2022. But Queensland could be blown out of the water by the Storm, who are increasingly resigned to Bellamy retiring as head coach this year. Again, still media speculation, no confirmation. And are ready to implement a mentoring succession plan, should he choose not to coach on. Uh, Storm legend Billy Slater is at the epicentre of Matt Tripp's blueprint to ensure Melbourne remains an NRL juggernaut. Tripp has made it clear he wants Bellamy to retain his coaching mantle and remain in charge in 2024, but said if the 64-year-old opts to stand down after a 20-year purple reign, Billy Slater will be among his targets. We'd be mad not to look at someone like Billy Slater, Tripp said. Billy is a legend of the club. He's an inspiration and he's one of six or seven candidates we are looking at to replace Craig. To be honest, my first priority is to keep Craig as head coach and talking to him about why I would love him to go on for another season. I haven't started planning yet, but if we have to start planning to replace Craig, Billy is in the mix. Billy would be a great coach of the Storm. He is smart and highly regarded 
but I have to be respectful to Craig and the other candidates. Slater is widely regarded as one of the greatest fullbacks in rugby league history, scoring 190 tries from 319 games for Melbourne Storm, whilst also amassing 30 tests for Australia and 31 origin appearances for Queensland. The 39-year-old has made a slick transition to commentary and his expert analysis for Channel 9 has rubber-stamped him as one of the sharpest minds in the game. Billy Slater and Ben, uh, his tactical brain was underlined this season when the Queensland Rugby League hierarchy gambled on Slater to replace Paul Green and hit the jackpot as the unproven coach masterminded the Maroons' stunning ball over of the Blues. Slater originally inked a two-year contract to coach Queensland and has told the QRL, Queensland Rugby League, he will wait until the completion of this year's series to decide if he desires another term at Camp Marone. Queensland Rugby League Chairman Bruce Hatcher confirmed he is keen to secure Slater for 2024 and beyond, but concedes the Maroons could face a fight from the Melbourne Storm. The dogs are barking on this one. That Slater could succeed, Bellamy Harcher said. We would like to extend him, but Billy has told us he wants to get to the end of this Origin series and review things then. Hopefully he's the Origin coach this year and next year. But Craig Bellamy has indicated this could be his last season. So we may have a battle on our hands to keep Billy. I have no doubt Billy would be a success at Melbourne but we are wrapped in his approach and we would love to keep him as Queensland coach for the longer term, said Harcher. Speaking recently on the Billy Slater podcast, the Maroons mentor said he didn't see himself as an NRL coach at the moment. The Melbourne Storm mean a lot to me, he said. I've spent half my life at the club and I'm still there now as a part-time coach, still contributing to the club. But Matt Tripp decides D-Day is fast approaching for the Melbourne Storm. Bellamy has flirted with retirement several times over the past decade, but this time Tripp believes his intentions are real, bringing Billy Slater firmly into the coaching equation. Other options for the Melbourne Storm include current assistant coach Mark Brentnell, former right-hand man Jason Riles, ex-Melbourne Storm prop, currently the Gold Coast, Brett White, and South Sydney Premiership coach Michael Maguire, who's currently at Canberra, once worked under Craig Bellamy. Craig has given every indication that this year will be his last, and this time I believe him compared to years gone by, Tripp said. He suggests this year is his last and I have to take him on face value. While we are going through some patches of bad form and we've lost some great players, I honestly believe Craig is coaching as well as he ever has and I still think he is the best coach in the game and the guy to coach our club in 2024. Craig Bellamy is a -a once-in-a-lifetime coach and fortunately for us, he is at the storm and will be at years to come. But it's just a matter of... In what capacity? I'm clinging on the moment and living in the hope that he decides to coach on for another year. So are we, Matt. So are we. But 
if that's not to be, we ideally want someone that has been in our system before and knows our DNA. Billy Slater will certainly be one or be one of the six or seven candidates that we will be looking at. So there we, there we have it. So I think we all acknowledge how influential um, Matt Tripp can be in terms of being coercive and getting his way um, whilst everyone had virtually resigned themselves to the fact that previously Craig Bellamy wasn't going to go around again. He did. That was through Matt Tripp's intervention. Um, everyone resigned themselves to the fact that Cameron Munster was going to the Dolphins. That was until Matt Tripp sat down with him. Um, everyone was resigned to the fact that potentially Harry Grant or Jerome Hughes could have been marquee signings for the Dolphins. That's before Matt Tripp sat down and had a chat to him. Um, so you get the guy, you, you, you get the feeling and you can you can see that Matt Tripp's a bit of a mover and a shaker. Um, and I'm not going to draw comparisons with Uncle Nick, Nick Politis at the Roosters, but Tripp's record in terms of getting his way and getting what he wants and getting his man is is up there with with Politis at the Roosters. So when Matt Tripp wants something, his record now shows that he, he usually gets what he wants. So if he needs to have that phone booth conversation with Craig Bellamy about going around again, I personally think that Craig Bellamy will be coaching in 2024. That's just my gut feeling. That's just my gut feeling. Because once a coach, always a coach. And I've said that time and time and time again. Um, and I made mention to it in a few weeks ago in, in, in a previous podcast where Gus Gould virtually had told him that you're not allowed to retire, we're going to carry you out in a box. And to be honest, that's that's the way it should be. You coach until you can't coach anymore. And while there's life, there's hope. And there's still, whilst there's life, there's still a lot of coaching to be done. Someone's number on a birth certificate shouldn't dictate when they can't work anymore. Um, and I think we've... we've, we've We've seen that with Wayne Bennett. Again, older than Craig Bellamy, but still has his faculties, still have his wits wits about him and is still proving that he's one of the, not only rugby league's great coaches, but sports great coaches. So if, you know, age shouldn't dictate when someone has to retire or step away and all the rest of it. And only Craig Bellamy's ever going to know that, right? He's, he's only ever going to know whether he's, it's ready to 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 hang up the clipboard, but he's showing no signs of it. That's the thing; he's showing no signs of stopping. He recently went overseas again on a study tour to improve himself, to increase his knowledge base, bring that information back, implement that into the football club, implement that into the learnings from Celtic FC into his own coaching repertoire. 
that does that doesn't strike me as someone who's ready to stop coaching. Now, we love the anima- animation and the antics that go on in the coach's box. For someone who's lost the passion, lost the fire, lost the desire, lost the fight to coach, the way he's carrying on in the coach's box, the way he's carrying on and spraying the team at halftime and full-time, to me that's – he's giving every indication that he's far from done, far from done as a coach. And I, ho- I hope I'm not reading that the wrong way and I hope everyone else isn't reading that the wrong way. But I, I, I think he coaches on. That's just – again, that's just my personal gut feel and I hope I hope that gut feel – comes to fruition and it is right. Now, Frank Panisi was interviewed on Sports Day Victoria on SEN. Um, and again, very similar to what I had suggested was going to be the in my season preview with uh, SEN um, with Ricardo Ball, is that I had a feeling that unlike previous years, the storm would actually start slower than usual and start to build into the season and finish strongly. Um, And that obviously had a lot to do with players returning from injury, players not being available because of injury. Um, Now obviously players suspended, more players getting injured. players coming back from the World Cup. There's numerous factors of why the Storm aren't looking like the Storm, as well as the turnover in the roster. A lot of a lot of youth that's now come through, they're not the same team. Um, it's unfair to, to label and put the expectations on this group of what previous Melbourne Storm teams have done uh, because of, I suppose, the sustained success that they've had over two decades. So there's numerous reasons why the Storm aren't hitting the ground running and, and like usually, uh, whilst obviously maintaining that round one rep record, which was great to see. Um, two from two, whilst not panic stations um, or, or area for concern, you'd still like to be f- four, four from four from four as opposed to none from four or two from two or one and three, etc. So they've got a 50% win record at the moment after four rounds. They're going into their fifth game this week. But again, it's one of those things where traditionally Storm start the season hard and fast, get to a, a very, very comfortable lead at the top of the table, come into origin period, sort of, plateau a little bit and then sort of try and pick up where they left off from the start of the season. So it's really about trying to maintain maintain that uh, that period um, that they start and try and go go as much as they can, like pedal to the metal, full throttle, etc. But as we know, it's not always conducive um, because of injuries, being able to maintain a fit, Top 30 and, and specifically a, your best 17 is extremely hard. You need a lot of luck to go your way. But it's really about, again, this season's going to – the approach this season's going to be different than, than previous seasons because of, as as mentioned, the injuries that 
we've sustained uh, the injuries prior or the people unavailable for the start of the season, namely in Ryan Pappenhausen, uh, losing Nelson, uh, the suspension of Jerome Hughes, etc. Uh, players coming back from injury. Um, again, it's I, I think we're not going to be see- we're not going to be seeing the best of the storm until after the Origin period, coming to that real business end of the season, the, the final sort of that final ten, eleven rounds, and hopefully that coincides with a fit Nelson, an injury free. Ryan Pappenhausen, um, Harry Grant and Cameron Munster getting through unscathed of origin, Walsh getting through unscathed of origin, um, Jerome Hughes staying fit. And again, I think, again, it's just not me saying it. You've got other, other media commentators, journalists, experts, rivals, fans, etc. that that say that if you look at the spines right across the seventeen teams in the NRL, a spine of Pappenhausen, Munster, Hughes and Grant, that's that's the best in the comp. Problem being is that they need to be they need to be they need to be on the field together. So the sooner that happens, I think you're gonna see a different Melbourne Storm team. Um, and again that's probably going to coincide at the back end of the season as opposed to starting hard and fast like we've seen in previous years. And Frank Panisi again was asked this on uh, on Sports Day Victoria uh, during the week. And are you comfortable just working your way in with the experience that you've got and without continuing to make AFL comparisons, I guess Geelong have been really good at doing that with the experience in their lineup and how well coached Chris Scott is and the experience that he's got. Is that sort of you've just got to stay in touch and then launch your move and get the players healthy towards the back end in the lead-up to the finals? Yeah, Kane, I think winning is far more important than your performance at this stage. I think if you uh, if you drop too many games, it, it puts you a little bit under pressure and then you're always chasing your tail. So at the moment, it's just is, is winning. Continue to play better every week. Obviously, that's performances. But I think just getting a few games, a few wins under your belt, staying with the leaders or in the, in the, the front pack of the competition and then working your game out as the season goes on when you get a few players back and a few players have also got more more minutes under their belt in terms of game time. So uh, it's just the importance of winning at this early stage of the season is really important. And then, you know, as the season goes on, hopefully we can really, you know, get those performances going to the best as we can. Frank Benici there. So, yeah, so as I said, it's it's really about trying to bank as many wins as we can now. Um before we we start to get some reinforcements back from from our from our injuries, so that's that's got to be the goal, and that starts that starts Friday night against the Rabbitohs. So bring on the bunnies! So that just about does it for this week. So again, thank you so much for your ears and, and tuning in and subscribing and downloading. Uh, really appreciate the support. The feedback's been great, um, be it constructive criticism or, or praise. Um, any any type of feedback's great because that just that means that people are listening and, and I really appreciate that. So thank you so much for that. So final thoughts uh, going into round five against the Rabbitohs this week. Again, I think 
where the game is going to be won, where it's going to be lost, really is going to be down to that the forward battle. Um, so big, big, big task for Kevin Kamitha, Welshy, Josh King, uh, Alec McDonald and Tarek Sims in, in particular as that middle third really trying to maintain the sort of the carnage and the damage that the likes of Saluka Fafida and Tom Burgess, who are big bodies, Cameron Murray uh, generating quick play the balls for Damien Cook to play on the back of. If we can shut them down, then I believe that the storm will go a, a long way because then you're limiting in the opportunity of Cody Walker and Latrell Mitchell injecting themselves into the game. Um, and if you're doing that, then all of a sudden their edges are going to be easy, easily uh, contained um, as opposed to not being contained. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of strike in Isaiah Tasson, Campbell Graham. Keon Kalamatangi on the edge um, is always a threat. Um, so he'll be trying to look to isolate um, Cameron Munster as the uh, as the three-man in that defensive line as well. So, yeah, let's let's hope our, our, our boys in the middle can – Hold hold the Rabbitohs at bay, um, and that will then give Harry Grant the opportunity to do what Damien Cook will be looking to doing, and that's playing over the advantage line and getting on the front foot and, and really trying to kickstart the Storms attack, which will bring in Cameron Munster so as our X-Factor and our, our primary ball runner. So, yeah, I think, again, as I made mention to, I think this has the hallmarks of being a very, very tight, Fought, um, arm wrestle, very similar to what round one was against the Eels. Hopefully it won't go to golden point. It's not going to be good for my blood pressure um, or or anyone's for that matter. But, um, yeah, look, if I had to, if I was a betting man, uh, which I'm not, uh, for those of you that are, gamble responsibly. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm predicting a storm win. One to twelve, I'll say storm by two. So I'll say storm by two, and fingers crossed it, it'll, it'll be a, a tremendous game of rugby league. And on that note, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your rugby league, and go the storm. <laughs>